Welcome to the First Apostolic Church Podcast. Our church mission is to love as God loves, showing compassion to every soul, thus winning those souls and equipping them to be sent out to plant and to harvest. Thank you for joining us today, and we hope that you are blessed by today's podcast. Timothy chapter 2, and uh, it is also good to see the Trouts today. I know the Trout family has had a roller coaster ride of events with Sister Trout's mother and then in and his mom and uh, uh, Sister Trout herself and so on and so forth, and so it's good to see them. Uh, this morning, we still uh, continuously pray for uh, Krista. We pray for Ian's mother and the expectancy of that baby. And, uh, we, and we know that that seems to be a long time in coming, but we're happy that it is that way. On the same token, we're glad that it is that way. And so the Lord sees and the Lord knows. And so we're, we're thankful. Amen for that. Hallelujah. We're going to be turning to First Timothy. Uh, chapter number two, and I'm also going to be reading from First Peter chapter number three. You're going to notice some similarities between these two passages and places of scripture. We are still in our discipleship series. I just had to make sure. I just had to make sure. So I went back to see when I did the very first lesson, and it was the very first Sunday in January of this year when I did the first lesson of this series. And I am I am on on uh, track. I believe to be finished before the end of the year. And so uh, to say that this was a year long series, we probably had others. They just didn't start at the beginning and end at the end of the year to be so apparent. I started in the middle and you really didn't keep track. But uh, nonetheless, here we are. But it's been good. It's been good. It's taken us back through some very uh, cardinal doctrines of the word of the Lord. And uh, it helps anybody at any stage, whether you're a new convert or whether you are, uh, you know, well, well versed in the word of the Lord along the journey. These are things that we must go back to. And so we've been talking about, in particular, Christian living. Now, I don't remember now. Is this week number six? What is this, guys? For for Christian Christian living. Seven, okay, you know, six, seven, you know, somewhere around there. Oh, Lord, help us. Amen. First Timothy chapter number two, the things that we'll look at today again for the next, I'm, I'm going to prescribe maybe three weeks. For the next three weeks are just basically going to be an overview, okay? Because you could really get the trenches of this and take a whole lot more time in this and with us as you could with any of these things. And someone saying, well, if it's taken a year, you've probably already done that. Not. I'd not have exhaustively done it. We could even win a little bit more in each one of those uh, subtopics and such. But the Bible says in 1 Timothy 2 and verse number 8, let me say that for the fifth time, right, Brother Zach McGee? He always gives me a hard time about doing that. I will, therefore, that men pray everywhere, lifting up holy hands without wrath and doubting, in like manner also that women adorn themselves in modest apparel, with shamefacedness, shamefacedness and sobriety, not with broided hair or gold or pearls or costly array, but, here's a, a, a parenthetical phrase, but which becometh women professing godliness with good works. 
First Peter chapter number three now and verse number three. If you're turning there or you can cheat and look at the screen, the Bible says who's adorning. Let it be. Let it not be that outward adorning of plating the hair of wearing of gold or putting on of apparel. But let it be the hidden man of the heart in that which is not corruptible, even the ornament of a meek and quiet spirit, which is in the sight of God of great price. For after this manner in the old time, the holy women also who trusted in God adorned themselves being in subjection unto their own husbands. And so we're going to continue this morning talking about uh, I'm going to continue talking about Christian living, continue talking about the subject matter of holiness again, because holiness uh, permeates different areas of our life like attitude, uh, appearance and our actions. It covers all of those uh, varied areas. Not, I, I would say most of the time in the church world, people's minds go to appearance or apparel and adornment when you talk about holiness. But as we've looked at thus far, it's also talking about attitude and actions just as well. All right. And so we're going to talk about a few of these things uh, this morning as we wade through them and ask for the Lord's help. All right. With our hearts and minds, Lord Jesus, I need you this morning. I need you to touch me anew and afresh. God, by your spirit and by the word of God. Open my mind and my understanding. I pray, God, give me a teachable spirit, God, to learn of you, God, and to learn of your word, and help me, God, to live and conduct my life in such a way that would be pleasing unto you, God, that is, Lord, separated and walking a, a line of progressing and maturity, Lord Jesus, towards you. In the lovely name of the Lord Jesus Christ that I pray, amen and amen. Everybody say amen. You may be seated this morning. I just put my Operation Share check right here on the podium, so I think it might help me uh, to remember here at the end of service, uh, Christian living. Remember, we have looked at a verse of Scripture in Hebrews, uh, just for a reference, Hebrews 12, 14, how it speaks about to follow peace with all men and holiness without which no man shall see the Lord. And it's important because it says follow, follow peace but also holiness. And so both peace and holiness, according to the word of God, they are things that must be pursued. They're things that must be pursued, must be uh, followed. And so when we speak here today and we got uh, for the next three weeks, subject matter will be around uh, manner of dress, apparel, adornment, ornamentation, hair. It will be along all these uh, several different lines, uh, distinction of sexes. Because whenever we speak of holiness, holiness goes beyond, uh, again, even under the umbrella of dress. It goes beyond just dress and adornment. It, it, it goes to the extent of the separation of the sexes and our gender and, and who we are as male and female and how we adorn ourselves help gives those distinctions to our gender, uh, which the Lord gave to Adam and Eve when there was not yet apparel necessary. I hope you understand what I just said in that moment. All right, physiologically, uh, he gave distinct differences to the male and female gender. And now after their apparel came into practice, after they had sinned in the garden, uh, even there, from there forward, even then to still yet today, there's distinctions that help us in the garments uh, of men and women. And we see throughout the word of the Lord, 
And probably any lady would testify to this. Uh, you know, you know, Pastor McGee, there are so many things throughout God's word that seems to direct a lot of things concerning apparel to the woman or to the female gender. It's always talking about the lady, you know, the lady this and the lady that. And like the guy gets off scotch free, you know, what it seems like. All right, I'm just saying seemingly as we read through scriptures that if you were to divide them up, what what is that? It seems like pertaining to a woman and that which is pertaining to a man. It's like you have, you know, it's like my list typically on a Sunday morning the scriptures like Sister Melin for all the women and then on the other side it's 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 lacking but with purpose the word of the Lord uh, does these things uh, because in, in in many regards the way in which a woman uh, uh, adorns herself of course is is a way in which she is giving glory or honor unto the Lord but it is also a way in which she is being protective of the men in society uh, male and female genders of course I and I, I say this very stereotypically, but that is, you know, men are largely and mostly driven by visual, by what they see, all right? And, and women more so if you can touch their emotion, all right? And so there is an approach then in the scripture that as the Lord has given instruction concerning the apparel of a woman, uh, he is helping then uh, with the men in the way in which a woman carries herself. And then as in first Timothy chapter number two, as we started out this, this today, you'll notice that he spoke to men, but they were to lift up holy hands without wrath and doubting. And then the Bible says in like manner also, then it starts talking to the woman then about apparel. Well, because a man, many times his, his, his place in which he can uh, uh, be of, of, of a hurt or, or uh, you know, indiscretion toward a woman is in many ways his attitude, his emotions, the way in which he acts, anger, wrath, all right? And so the Lord speaks to a man in many aspects concerning, uh, you know, holiness, those type of things, attitudes, the way in which he handles his emotions because that's going to have a deep impact on the ladies. And he speaks to the women on the way in which they dress because that will have a deep impact on the men. And so, uh, so with that, that's the reason why you see this, this collection, if you will, as it would seem, well, they're t- talking about uh, the adorning over here, but to the man, I don't see that. Yeah, but there's much that's talked to him about his attitude, his emotions, how he allows himself to uh, rise and fall on the inside because this has bearings on each of us in our, in our own personal genders. And so, again, as we go along the way, there are some matters, and uh, this is kind of like big overview, right, uh, background, but there's some matters that we'll get into that people may see that it isn't so much as much as a modesty thing as it is a distinction of a sex thing. All right? And because that is just as as important, especially, I might even say that is even more important in today's society than it ever has been. Amen. And it just deposited in my mind just real quickly, okay? And I've oftentimes wondered or, or thought that if it doesn't mean anything and the appearance and the adornment is really no big deal, then why is it, just asking, why is it that whenever someone has an affinity toward the same sex, one of the two are going to change the way in which they appear to try to assimilate or show as though they are the other gender? Amen. And so just just keep that in your back molars and just chew on that for a little bit. 
uh, along the way. And so with this, when we talk about uh, uh, manners of dress and standards of dress and things of that nature, again, we have looked through this study just even in the Christian living part. When you are born again of the water and the spirit, you are justified. An easy way to remember justified, it's just as if I'd never done it. It's just, just if justified, just if I'd never done it. You are justified. Amen. We stand before the Lord justified. But along the way, and so that's salvation. Again, it's been called sometimes the most elastic word, right? Because you're saved when you're born again of the water and the spirit and receive the gift of the Holy Ghost and been baptized in Jesus' name. But you are in a process of being saved every day after that through your sanctification, through your separation, through your being holy unto the Lord. You're being saved every day. And there's that ultimate salvation that will happen on rapture day where the Bible speaks of how the soul of man will literally be saved right? He'll be saved from the body of this flesh. He'll be saved from this world. And so salvation is a very elastic word. You're saved, yes, whenever you receive the baptism of the Holy Ghost. But every day you live, you are being saved. As you progress in your walk with the Lord, there is a sanctification process that has taken place until ultimately we are carried out of here. And so uh, our manner of dress each and every day is a part of that saving or sanctification process that we're a part of. Whenever we read the different uh, passages of Scripture in 1 Timothy and in 1 Peter. In 1 Timothy, uh, the apostle Paul is speaking to his son in the gospel, Timothy. He is speaking to Timothy uh, largely in a theological type sense. He's speaking about uh, the conduct of women, and he also uh, spoke to the men, but he, he speaks about them, and the context is the church. The context is the church for that particular setting of Scripture, if you were to read it. Well, in First Peter, uh, Peter is speaking again, but it's not in a theological type sense, but more a practical sense. He's speaking in a practical sense because the context in which Peter is speaking to them about is, uh, and, and he's particularly speaking to the women here, he's speaking to the women in their home. Matter of fact, if you look at it a little bit more in depthly, he's speaking to the women in the home, uh, particularly of a woman that had an unsaved husband. All right. And so there's two different spheres here, uh, two different people, even for that matter, Peter and Paul, both speaking very close to the same thing. One is speaking on a theological level for the church. Another one is speaking on a very practical level concerning uh, the home. But what we learn from that very quickly is this is what applies to in the church applies at home. Amen. Uh, concerning uh, these things. And so as, as we get into this, we go back then to the Old Testament. Uh, in the Old Testament, the people of the Lord uh, were compelled to properly represent and exemplify holy lives and holy living, living before the Lord. They were to showcase, if you will, the purity of God in their own lives and the way in which they uh, represented themselves. Uh, from the Zondervan, and I, I wish I had time to make slides so I could put some of this stuff up for you so as I read, you could see. But the Zondervan Pictorial Bible Dictionary says this, the clothing worn by the Hebrew people of biblical times was graceful, modest, and exceedingly significant. Their garments were considered so much a part of those who wore them that they not only told who and what they were, but were intended as external symbols of the individual's innermost feelings and deepest desires and his moral urge 
to represent God aright. There's a lot in just that little paragraph right there. That's the Old Testament. And we see that display throughout the Old Testament. And, and garments and, and apparel in the Old Testament, it was very significant. As a matter of fact, if you'll remember in the book of Judges that whenever Samson did something and uh, he was awarded so many changes of garment. I mean, that was like a big thing. Remember whenever Joseph wanted to show uh, his favor to his brother Benjamin. You know, he gave him more food, but he also gave him extra changes of garments. So this idea of garments was very important. And it did display a person's placement in life and society or who they are or what they were. Uh, whenever we see Tamar, the Bible says she sat by the way, which was the daughter-in-law to Jacob, that after he had lost his wife, he was walking past that way. And she had put off her normal garments. The Bible says she put on the garments of a harlot, right? Because she wanted to indicate by what she wore who she was in that moment. And the Bible says that he went in and lay with his own daughter-in-law. There was children. He didn't know it was because of her garment change and some other things that took place. But nonetheless, so these things are vitally, vitally important. But when we step over then into the New Testament, the New Testament then teaches us as well that as Christians and in Christian living, uh, the way that we dress and adorn ourselves, again, we need to represent uh, represent as uh, individuals that's professing godliness. That's even what 1 Timothy 2 verse number 10 there spoke of there in the parentheses, but that which becometh a woman professing godliness. All right. And so it, it, it exhorts us and admonishes us to do so. So if we profess them, or if we claim Christendom or to be a Christian, then our manner of dress should also reflect the godliness of, of that, that row and that facet of life of being a Christian. The word becometh there in first Timothy two and verse 10, the word becometh means that it should stand out or it should tower up. In other words, this idea of professing godliness should tower up and stand out. It should be apparent in some fashion. And to profess is to announce or search something. So you're talking about professing godliness. You're announcing godliness. You're professing and asserting godliness or that reverence that you have toward God, all right, uh, which would be in the case of holiness. It is important to note that clothing uh, was not the factor, and please don't miscue what I'm about ready to say. Clothing was not the factor that made the Hebrew children, the Hebrews, the children of God. It was, uh, it's not that these, this clothing, that makes me a, a, a child of God. But their clothing, rather, my word choice is very important here this morning, reflected that they did revere and respect God. Today, the saying is, the clothing makes the person. But in God's eyes, the person makes the clothing. And I'm not talking about sewing. <laughs> All right. The person makes the clothing because it shows then that there is a reverence for the Lord and that we have a desire to please the Lord. All right. And even furthermore, that we have a desire to represent him, we represent him. Yes. How holy for he is holy. Therefore, I am holy. There's that separatedness, that distinction uh, in my life. And so uh, likewise, then in real today's society, our manner of dress does not cannot save us. All right. 
or make me a Christian, all right? But it does also today, the way in which we, 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 we adorn ourselves helps then reflect that we have a desire to be pleasing unto the Lord and to represent him in the purest of sense uh, that we can in our everyday lives. So let's, let's consider modesty uh, just for a moment this morning. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians 6, Brother Zach, in verse number 20, uh, these words, for ye are bought with a price. We've looked at this several times over the past few weeks. You're bought with a price. Therefore, and please, I, I know, I'm so bad. You are bought with a price. If somebody buys something, that belongs to them, right? We have been bought. We have been purchased. That means I am owned by whatever has purchased me. So I belong to him. For we're bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body, all right, and in your spirit, which are God's. Now, sometimes we concentrate heavy on the spirit side and never consider the body side. Glorifying God in your body. All right. Uh, just some very practical things concerning glorifying God in your body can be this. You don't want to ingest or practice any type of addictive behaviors that's going to hurt your body. All right. He's given us only one. All right. And so we got to do to the best of our ability to care for it. to not do that would be to not glorify God in your body. If you're doing, uh, putting substances in your body that is hurting your body or your organs or other things, you're not glorifying God through your body by doing that. If you're doing things that's going to uh, and known to, you know, promote cancer to happen wherever, your lungs, your mouth, you know, however it goes, then you're not glorifying God with your body. But likewise, in the essence of the way in which we adorn ourselves is another way that we either glorify or don't glorify the Lord with our bodies. The Bible, as we have seen in 1 Timothy 2, 9, he spoke and said in like manner also that women adorn themselves in modest. It uses the word modest, modest apparel. The Bible says in Titus 2 and verse number 5, uh, this, is a, this is admonishing the teaching of women here, to be discreet. So teach the women to be discreet, which basically means self-controlled. All right? And chaste which is modest, chaste. And by no means want to get uh, vulgar here, but they have things called chastity belts that is to protect the female organs. And, you, and notice the word that I said, protect, safeguard, that much of what we do, even in the way that we adorn ourselves, Again, this is not like putting down a fence of, of there is protection that is involved in these things. And I'm not just talking about sexual relations, all right? But I'm, there is protection as the body of Christ involved in these things as well. Amen. And so he said, he said, be, to be discreet, self-controlled, chaste, which is modest, keepers at home, good, obedient to their own husbands, all right? So you have to obey somebody else's husband, obey your own. <laughs> That the word of God be not blasphemed, or so that the word of God be not reproached, that it be not defamed, all right? And so, again, in this, the word of the Lord gives us a, a revelation uh, that, that uh, holiness or that uh, the way in which we live our lives 
concerning separation affects a few different areas. If we just even look at Titus 2, 5, to be discreet, discreet self-control, again, that is alluding to your attitude. When we talk about then chastity or modesty, then that's uh, talking about your appearance. Whenever you talk about being a, a keeper at home and good, that's talking about your actions. And so it covers these, these different areas and categories in which holiness needs to uh, be prominent and, and be evident within our lives. And doing so brings glory to God. And in doing so, just underscores and capitalizes then the word of God. It doesn't blaspheme it. It doesn't defame it. It doesn't reproach it. It's not contradictory to it. But it's in harmony. Amen. With the teaching of God's word. 1 Timothy 2.9, the word modest is translated from a Greek word, cosmos, from which we get our word cosmos. It means orderly or decorous, decent, proper. This is the definition of modest in the word, in the Greek. Appropriate of good and fitting behavior. Modest. Appropriate, good, fitting behavior, proper, decent. All right. This word also appears in Ecclesiastes. It's used in a different way. It's translated, set in order, and it's speaking about uh, Solomon's Proverbs, how they were modest or as it's portrayed in the English Bible, set in order. So there is a order that is given to them. And can I just pause for a moment and say this? Modesty can not only be, or maybe I should say it like this, immodesty can not only be the lack of clothing, it can be the way in which clothing fits. Now, hold on. Not just how tight, but even how sloppy. I, I, yeah, because it's decent. It's orderly. You understand? It's orderly. It's, it's good and appropriate and fitting. What I'm saying is, if you're just going to just present yourself just as a, a slob. I don't know how else to explain it, folks, but you just really don't care. Then that can be immodest. You might be fully covered, but you might not be orderly. You understand? I don't know. Someone's looking at me today like you're crazy. I'm not crazy. I'm just going off the way. It's something that's set in order. It's appropriate. It's fitting. Amen. According to the word of the Lord. Uh, and, 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 you know, so just on that side, then to the other side, you can you can have a a a dress that distinguishes you as a woman, but it might show every crevice and curve. Guys too. And still be unmodest. You're covered, but you still be unmodest. Edith Head, she was an American costume designer. She said, a dress should be tight enough to show you're a woman, but loose enough to show you that you're a lady. Amen. And so in this, there, in the same verse, there's another word that's used. Outside of modest is also the word apparel. Apparel. It's translated from a Greek word, katastol. Uh, the Oxford English Dictionary defines this word as loose a long flowing robe. Young Literal's translation defines it as a long robe. As a matter of fact, this is the only place in Scripture that the word catastole is used. And it comes from a word 
actually a Greek garment because this is, this is the context in which uh, the Apostle Paul's writing, uh, the Roman and Greek world, it was actually called a Greek garment, which was called, and Bishop has taught on this before, a catastola. He, he, he would emphasize on the stola part that he's taught of before, but a catastola was a particular type of garment that the Greeks wore. It was a flowing garment. It was a loose-fitting garment, but it covered from the neck all the way down to the knees and many times to the ankles. It was long. All right? And so it was flowing, and it was, it, was, it was long. And so this is what it speaks of, whatever it's speaking of the word apparel there in 1 Timothy chapter number 2. And so whenever we use these words together of modest and apparel, when we start coupling these together in this verse, we understand then that the apparel needs to be proper, it needs to be decent, it needs to be fitting and suitable and appropriate, and it needs to properly cover the entirety of our body. Right. It needs to properly cover our body and do so appropriately. And we find in many regards that this is the same concept and idea then that the Lord even had all the way back in the book of Genesis at the very beginning. Amen. The Bible teaches us if we go all the way back to the Garden of Eden, that the scripture teaches us that before transgression, before sin, before taking of the tree of knowledge of good and evil, that the Bible says that the man and his wife were naked and not ashamed. That's the word of the Lord. They were naked, but they were not ashamed. But after Eve partook of the fruit of the tree and gave to her husband, and he also ate, they ate of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Their eyes, the Bible says, were open, and they were naked now, And they realized their nakedness and they were ashamed. The Bible tells us then what their response to that was. They went in Genesis 3 and verse number 7. The eyes of them both were open and they knew that they were naked. Adam and Eve did now after transgression, after sin. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves aprons. The word apron is translated from a Hebrew word that means a short garment covering the loins or a loin cloth. And so Adam and Eve seen that they were naked. Their invention was this. We'll sew fig leaves together and we'll cover, you know, just call me Adam. We'll just cover the loin, you know, a loin cloth. But note now, and I want to underscore, that was man's solution for covering his nakedness. He was now aware of now watch this now verse number 10 we read a little further that the lord comes walking in the garden as his custom was to have communion with them they hear the voice of the lord verse 9 tells us about god calling out to adam wanting to know where he was verse 10 tells us and he said adam said i heard thy voice in the garden and i was afraid because i was hold on Adam, did you and Eve not already make for yourself loincloths? Yes, but Adam still says, but I heard you, but I was naked. He's even admitting that what they had supplied still yet wasn't quite enough. All right? He says, I, 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 I was naked, Lord, I heard you, but I was naked and I hid myself. They hide themselves among the trees. And so then we go and find in verse number 21, Further down, after they've had a discussion with the Lord, that 
unto Adam also and to his wife did the Lord God make coats of skins, the Bible says, and clothed them, clothed Adam and Eve. And the word that is used for this coat of skins type of thing uh, is a Hebrew word that goes beyond just the loincloth that covers covers the loins, or, or if you will, but he came along and covered their nakedness a little bit more with coats of animal skins. And the Hebrew word means a long shirt-like garment or robe. And so what we have here then is, right in Genesis, in the very beginning, man's idea of his solution for his nakedness, but having some... Uh, what's the word I'm looking at? Reservations that it didn't quite totally do what was needed. And then God's definition of a garment, of, of a garment or a robe covering down a shirt like long garment or robe. God's idea and concept of what nakedness covering uh, uh, was, was in the eyes of God. And so our, as children of God, then we should be subscribing then to the definition that God had even all the way back in the book of Genesis. All right. All the way back in the book of Genesis. Amen. And so, uh, you know, since that time uh, going forward, modesty has been an established principle uh, throughout the word of the Lord and throughout scripture. Uh, walking up right before the Lord. As a matter of fact, you'll read in Leviticus chapters, and this is for your reference, chapters 18 and chapters 20, uh, they, they teach at different places and times emphatically that nakedness uh, and indecent exposure of the body, of course, is shameful, uh, shameful and displeasing to the Lord. And, and I just bring this up as well. Um, throughout the word of the Lord, it was typical that if a person was uncovered or exposed their nakedness or what we would call unsuitably adorned, all right, showing forth their body in Scripture, it was typical that that person then was under some type of sway of idolatry or worldly influence, even possibly, and again, satanic influence. You're saying that every person that's inappropriate is, is overcome, they're demon-possessed. No, you missed it. That there is the influence of the world. Whenever you read Israel at the base of the mount, that, that mountain that Moses went up to get the commandments of God and the tabernacle in the wilderness, doing God's work at the base of the mountain, when they started handing over their gold and the golden calf was made, all right, and they began to make merry and sing and dance, the Bible says plainly they were naked. indicating and showing a shift in what had happened in their spiritual character in that moment. These are the Hebrews. They've been drawn out of Egypt, but there was a shift in their spiritual characterization, even just shown now they're out there just exposing their bodies. They're under some other type of influence. The demoniac or the man of the Gadarenes in Luke 8 of Gadara Remember, Jesus shows up on the shore of Gadara. The, the history of this man is that he was demon-possessed. Nobody could control him. He lived among the tombs. He oftentimes cut himself with, with stones. The Bible says he was unclothed. Right? He's unclothed. He comes seeking the Lord. 
right? Needing and wanting deliverance. Deliverance came. The Lord uh, uh, cast those demons out of him into the swine that was nearby. And whenever the people, the community that was well acquainted with this man seen him again, the Bible says that he was in his sound mind. He wasn't going here and there, but he was sitting there at the feet of Jesus. And the Bible says, and he was clothed. Showing a distinction that he was under a different type of influence than what they had normally known him under because now he was attired before the Lord rather than running around exposed. Amen. Amen. And so, again, you know, we deal, I think the, the, the difficulty uh, of the church in the world is this, is that People deal with societal pressure. Deal with societal pressure. And in that, what we deal with is this also, that in the total realm of the population of the world, we understand according to the word of the Lord, that those that really find the Lord, it's going to be the few. All right? I mean, in reality, if you're looking at proportions, it's going to be the few. Straight as the gate narrows the way and few there be that. It's going to be the few. And so when you are receiving societal pressures and it's the majority and you're the minority. That causes it would anybody in any type of context people to be uncomfortable. When you're the minority, right? When you're the minority and what you practice is different than the majority, that causes then being uncomfortable. And so the, the society will brazenly say, you know, the body is beautiful, nothing to be ashamed of. That, that is, that's some of the things you hear. The body is beautiful, nothing to be ashamed of. You know what? Let's just get rid of our clothes. Let's start a nudist colony over here. Let's open. I'm seriously. I've been in large cities that they have been stark naked on the corners. Absolutely. Matter of fact, I remember one NYC walking down some of the main streets and there is a lady totally naked on the corner. She's got her sign and all this stuff. Your body is beautiful, nothing to be ashamed of. Well, you know, okay. But we must remember that while here's the here's the context difference. According to the word. The world and those that have that type of influence, they celebrate the flesh and the lust of the flesh. But according to children of the Lord, we are to celebrate the spirit and the works of the spirit. These from eons ago are always going to be contrary one to the other. And they'll be diametrically different from one another. The Bible says in Romans 8 and 5, for they that are after the flesh do mine, or if you will, literally entertain the things of the flesh. But they are after the spirit, the things of the spirit. Galatians 6 and 8, for he that soweth to his flesh shall of the flesh reap corruption. But he that sowed to the spirit shall of the spirit reap everlasting life. All right. And so we give these things consideration. Elizabeth Rice uh, Hanford, she wrote and she said this. And she's, she's, uh, she's a Baptist author. She says, why does a woman insist on wearing short skirts, tight knits, low necklines, and seem oblivious to the stress that she puts on others? So talking about how we adorn ourselves may impact other people around us. Can it be she subconsciously invites a proposition to sin? Does she like the gleam of desire she sees in a man's eyes? Now, we spoke about when we start going through all those terms. Was that last week? 
Someone help me. Last week, all those different terms of list of uh, being effeminate and all these things, one on the list, remember, was lasciviousness. And we defined it. Wantonness, doing stuff to elicit desire, lust. You can do that, not just through words, but through and how you present yourself. Mary Quint, and please note, this is Mary Quint. Uh, she is a very successful designer. She is the lady that designed or was the mother of the miniskirt. So this is her words. Uh, if anybody wants to know a reference, this is from London's Kooky Success Story, Reader's Digest, June 1967, page 112. Mary Quint, the mother of the miniskirt and Britain's most successful designer of women's ready-to-wear clothes, says that her aim, listen to this, is to dress women so men would feel like tearing the wrapping off. She designs clothes to shock because she believes if the clothes don't make you notice, then I think they're a waste of money. She coined the dictum, good taste is death, vulgarity is life. When asked, what is the point of fashion? Where is it leading? Mary Quint promptly replied, What's the point of fashion? Where it is leading? She promptly replied, sex. That's amazing. It's amazing. Amen. Here's something I want you to consider too today. Speaking about all the way back in Eden, uh, the garment of animal skins that was made for Adam and Eve. It is, it is, um, it is believed among Jewish literature oral even tradition of the Jews that the garments that 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 God made for Adam and Eve were passed down from one generational leader to the next generational leader in other words they even have the line and some of this comes from oral tradition things that have been passed down for I mean thousands of years that whenever Adam and Eve they, they passed on that their garments were passed on like later to, to Enoch and Methuselah and Noah. As a matter of fact, they believed that it had a certain, certain drawing power because if you remember Adam, that he stood before and he named all the animals. You remember that? The Bible in the creative book of Genesis that Adam named all of the animals. And if this garment as the Jews prescribed, was passed down from generational leader, generational leader, and came to Noah. They believed that that is even the garment that Shem and Japheth grabbed to cover up their father's nakedness when he was exposed in the tent. And they believed then because Adam was the first one to name all the animals, it has a drawing power even on nature so that Noah, when he called for the animals to come to the ark since he would have had that garment, that it would have been a pool upon the animals to come and that that garment then even going then to Ham and then to Cush and to Nimrod. They believe that Esau even killed Nimrod, amen, to get a hold of it. And remember, Esau was a man of the field and remember that whenever Rebekah wanted to send Jacob in to get the blessing, that she took the garments of Esau and she put them on Jacob. And as Jacob entered in before his father, he made mention about he had the smell of Eden. That could have been that garment that came all the way back from the beginning of Genesis 
through a line. But in that, if that's the case, in that, there is this sense of modesty that's being passed on from generation to generation, even being then the coat of many colors that Joseph received from Jacob, his father, being to believe that same garment that started in the beginning, tracing then, if you will, this sense of modesty. Amen. And so, going on, it's just a little whatever for you. Amen. Melody Green, uh, she is the wife of Keith Green. He's a Christian singer, writes, not, not, of, our, not of our persuasion, all right, not of our persuasion. Uh, she wrote a book uncovering the truth about modesty. Melody Green wrote these words. She said, before I became a Christian, I did not care how I dressed. She said, after I became a Christian, she said, I blamed everybody else for how I dressed. See, people told me, you can't dress that way. You may cause a man to lust or sin after you in his heart. And she said, that's his problem. Not my problem. She said, but after prayer, and God showed her that it was her problem. She continues, she said, God revealed to me that it was wrong and sinful for me to adorn myself and dress myself any way that caused a man to look after me and lust. Not of our persuasion but just wrote in her, in her book as so. And so, listen, and Jewish people are very cautious about how we may lead one another down a wrong path. All right? So we've been talking about the late, in so much that this, and Brother Lang will tell you this, and this comes from him. Um, he said whenever he takes groups of people to Israel and to Jerusalem, he said the ladies are just kind of, they're like, what? Because many of the men to them seem so rude. All these Jewish men over there, they are so, so rude. Whenever they are walking like into a building or something, the men, if there's a man there in front of the, the girls, he will not open the door for her. He will not open the door. As a matter of fact, uh, you'll mostly notice any Jewish man, he is always going to be walking in front of the ladies, not behind. You know, us guys are like, oh, you know, go ahead, trying to be cordial. Not the Jews, they're walking, the Jewish men, they're walking before them. They have limited conversation with women at all the jews have their a little doctrine in their self they this is their phrase they say it's safer to stand in front of a lion than to walk behind a woman why because sometimes a man's propensity walking behind a woman that's in front of him he'll cast his eyes at her features so he's not going to open the door for a lady and allow her in especially when it's not his wife because he don't want to be drawn by his eye. It's not him being rude. It's him trying to be protective. Man. That's, that's something else, isn't it? And the reason being is because we know even through Scripture, immodesty has serious ramifications. Has serious ramifications. Um, you know, to, to do so willfully, no, knowingly, consistently and never progress in any form never progress in any form uh whenever biblical instruction gives us to do so then in reality is a willful lack of submission to the lord it's a willful lack of submission to the lord and so uh when we consider that it, it disregards and it displaces uh, what we have termed in scripture as shamefacedness and sobriety in the word of the lord boy i'm not getting very far <sighs> God, I'm really wanting to get done before the end of the year. 
So how does this, how does this, how does this apply, you know, in the modern day? How does this apply here and now? You know, first, again, modesty, not um, dressing in a manner that you're not exposing the body, not revealing it in an unsuitable manner or way, uh, not eliciting, if you will, temptation or lust to somebody else as a result in which we're done. Yes, you know, in those regards, we are our brother's keeper. Uh, we are our sister's keeper, and we're accountable to God for the way in which we present ourselves. Uh, but also, uh, the principle of modesty is, of course, then to also cover our shame. Again, God covered Adam and Eve because they realized they were naked, and uh, their exposed bodies were shameful. So it was covering their shame. So Christian modesty, Christian modesty in clothing is then, again, kind of a summary type thing. Clothing that covers the body. In a modest way, a chaste way, a reserved manner, clothing that is not, again, tight or clingy or revealing. Uh, it's not overly flashy either. Because you can draw your attention, you can draw attention that way as well. Not overly flashy or showy or vulgar, all right? Not trying to draw undue attention to the body. Listen, again, going back to the people of the Old Testament, but modern day, over in Jerusalem today, there he is. A sign, this is from the National Geographic, July 1985, page 30. Sign in the Orthodox Jew, Jewish quarter that says this. Passage permitted only to women dress modestly. And then it defines with a few bullet points. Long dress, lower than the knee length, no slacks, long sleeves, beyond elbow length, closed neckline. Orthodox Jew. I was having a conversation with Brother Mason just here a while ago. And because uh, he seen me, I was in this Christian living thing. He said, whenever I was over in Israel and Jerusalem, he said, there were certain ladies, Jewish ladies was walking by. He said, they looked just like they were apostolic. He said, they looked just like apostolics. And he said, I asked uh, somebody that uh, was a native there. He said, what is, what's with you know, these particular women? Because he says, they just seem, they, he said, they look, you know, like apostolics. And that individual told them and said, well, what you're seeing there is a true Orthodox Jew. That is a true Orthodox Jew. In other words, they are, they are connected to the original. They're true Orthodox Jew. And so Brother Mason thought, man, they're looking just like apostolic. Well, they're as true to their orthodoxy. They are continuing in that pattern of adorning themselves. Folks, that shit. Things like that, man, just bolster my faith and underscore the reality of God's word in the real world, all right? And so uh, the biblical call for modesty then is, is to not neglect, uh, you know, our modest apparel. And I say this for this body of believers, so I say this for whoever is listening as well. Modesty is a dress that we don't neglect or cancel out by our location, our climate, or our activity. Our location, our climate, or our activity. Amen. Amen. I know there are all kinds of different things out there in today's world that certain locations and certain clients then gives the okay. Not by client, not by location, nor by activity. Here's the only area in which there can be, if I could say, any variableness in modesty. And that's the modesty that you share within the bedroom of a husband and wife context compared then with the rest of the world. Amen. 
What do you mean I gotta, you know, I gotta shower with my clothes on? Let's not get idiots. I mean, let's not be, let's not just get real stupid, okay? Brother McGee, you mean I go to bed fully clothed with my wife? Well, you know, procreation would be very hard. And I was kind using that word. If you don't know what it means, look it up. I'm struggling with young ears that I've had for some time, folks, that I can't just be quite frank and open as much as normal. All right? So, uh, you know, we... The practice of the first apostolic church, and I believe biblical context, is that location, climate, activity, it matters not. Amen. Modest is modest. Amen? Amen. Well, glory. Stand with me. Man, I didn't get where I wanted to get. I got close. Maybe. <laughs> I didn't get close. <laughs> Is everybody okay? If I don't get finished by the time we go 2021, anybody going to be mad or upset? Okay. Well, I'm trying to take my time because I, sometimes I think we just go quick and, uh, you know, dot I's and cross T's and somebody can get lost among the, among the process. Uh, next week, we'll continue talking about this. We'll start talking a little bit about ornamentation, uh, other things that people put on their bodies outside of clothing, ornamentation, all right? So I want to be as you would want me to be. We do have an offering to take up. I've not forgotten. I have. Thank you for listening. If you would like more information about our services and activities, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter with the username FACMC. Again, that's FACMC. Thank you and have a blessed day.